it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. What a week it's been, and today is not slowing down at all. Geraldo Rivera standing by. Uh, we just got Daniel Penny. He's the 24-year-old Marine that tried to subdue a crazed uh, lunatic on a subway. Uh, sadly, a, a submission hold turned into a chokehold. And the guy ended up passing away. He was just arranged, going to be charged second-degree manslaughter. He is still inside the 5th Precinct in Manhattan. This is going to be a huge national story. Now they got 20 days to put together a case and then bring it to the grand jury simultaneously. And there's been nonstop protests in New York because he's white. And the, and the, uh, the uh, schizophrenic, he is, the schizophrenic 30-year-old uh, who is threatening everybody on the subway, uh, is black. So when people see race in this. I see subway danger. I'm on the subway three times a week uh, for the past 20 years. Over the last five years, uh, white, black, Hispanic, there's always a nut. At least once every two weeks, there's always some crazed guy, whether it's somebody just sleeping shirtless on the seat or screaming, demanding money. This was 2.30 in the afternoon on a train. I'm on often. It's on the below this building, the F train. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This thing was all political. Understand that Tony Blinken first contacts Mike Morrell and says, oh, what do you think about this laptop issue? That story gets put in the very letter that John Brennan, Mike Morrell, and 49 other former Intel officials sign on to. That is Jim Jordan, of course. He's with the Judiciary Committee where he's chair. More proof. Intel, the press, the DOJ in bed with Biden as John Brennan goes behind closed door for four hours and talks about the plot to protect Hunter and get Joe elected. It begins to be exposed. Number two. The DA will make the determination on how to handle this case. And I respect that. I respect uh, DA Bragg's, uh, his job and what he has to do. That's the mayor, Adams. Manslaughter. Daniel Penny face up to 10 years in prison. Why? The subway chokehold death of Jordan Neely. Manhattan DA confirms he's turning himself in and has. After weeks of protests, don't expect anyone to step up again ever if you're in trouble. Number one. Will you be on shaky legal ground, though, with mass releases? Your question has a factual predicate with which I would disagree about mass releases. Number one. It is mass releases. I don't care if you don't like the facts, Mr. Mayorkas. Disaster in every way. A mass of humanity from dozens of countries is flooding our southern border right now. It's impossible to keep up. It's impossible to process. Impossible to screen. America is essentially being invaded intentionally or not. President Biden's policies are 100 percent to blame. This is a domestic version of Biden's evacuation of Afghanistan. And what they're referring to, Geraldo, with the legal background, uh, a judge stopped, gave a two-week stay, a pause, on allowing these illegals to cross over and not be processed. We're not even, it's so busy. These, these centers are so overcrowded. They want to be able to have, tell people, just come back on your own and report to ICE. And a judge says, you can't do that. Welcome, Geraldo. Hi, uh, Brian. It's a very disturbing situation at the border, and I agree with you. I think that it is uh, President Biden's uh, con- uh, compassion, his kindness 
has uh, has has foreseeably backfired. Uh, the wrong message, exactly the wrong message, was sent by it's President Biden to you know the huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Uh, so everybody, uh, you know, everybody wants to be in America, particularly people who live on the margins in uh, in countries in Central America, in the Caribbean, West Africa, South America. And, uh, you know, the world's on the move. The poor migrants are heading this way. Uh, they hear from President Biden that, uh, you know, it's a compassionate, open country. Come on down. And uh, the results have been predictably catastrophic. Brian. It, yeah, it's uh, and you're you're a nice person and you want to see everyone be healthy and have a shot of the American dream. But there'll be no American dream if we just open up the border. And after 50 years in office of all different presidents and different parties in power, it's totally irresponsible and inexcusable for him to allow what's taking place to take place, to have a hour meeting with the Mexican president and not walk out with 20,000 Marines on the southern border like Trump did, not come out with a remain in Mexico policy, not threaten tariffs, if so be it. Not go up to Guatemala and say, listen, you're going to lose your incentives and your aid if you don't crack down on your own cartels who are luring your people out and all the way down through. Do you know the Guatemalan president told Bill Malusian they found out that he's been trying to reach the White House because 80,000 people are passing through his country and they wanted to alert him? And they said, the Guatemalan president said, I can't get anyone to return my call. I believe that you hit the nail on the head uh, again, Brian, the, the situation in Mexico particularly. Mexico, uh, you know, there's a 1,500-mile walk between Guatemala and uh, El Paso. Uh, that's 1,500 miles of Mexico that has to be tra- uh, traversed by the the hordes of people coming. Uh, Mexico under under Trump was motivated by fear and self-interest to cooperate and to do the best they could to stop the flow of migrants to the United States through Mexico. Uh, that policy has been totally abandoned. You're right. Uh, Biden uh, has been ineffectual in terms of getting Mexico uh, to do its job to police its own uh, border. That uh, you know, Mexico is, in, in a malevolent way, is self-interested. The Mexican cartels are profiting enormously. When you look at the the hordes yeah. of migrants, just think eight, ten thousand dollars per head for the cartel for the right uh, for them to get the right to ride that train uh, uh, from the southern part of Mexico to the border. Uh, it is a vast industry from Mexico's point of view. The only way to get Mexico to motivate is to use trade. Uh, to make a, a, a stranglehold on that trade, make Mexico feel that it is in their self-interest to help us, uh, you know, take mm-hmm. a, a chaos and make order. Uh, the one thing I, I would disagree with you on, Brian, I think that big picture, long term, uh, the United States is at nearly full employment now, with 3.4 percent unemployment rate. Uh, these folks are demonstrating with their feet with their courage, that they are the kind of people that we want in the United States, uh, hardworking, uh, ambitious. But, but uh, I did, but I, I, you know, in some cases, just, Geraldo, and, just, I, and I see these women with, with kids, and, I, and you know, I get it. Uh, they're just trying to make a better life. Their country's terrible or run down. And that someone gives word that this is the only time to get to America, so give up everything and go and sell everything and move, and they do. But I also talked to a military veteran in El Paso, and he told me that I talk to these guys every day. 
and a lot of them are all tatted up, and a lot of them are from the prisons, Venezuelan in particular, and they are mixed in. Also, there was a time when you first started at Fox where we pretty much knew it was going to be Hispanics. We just didn't know what country. Now we find out representative Turkey, India, Angola, Jamaica, Afghanistan, Russia, Guinea, Pakistan, Kazakhstan. This all yesterday reported to Bill Malusian. All these nationalities have have crossed our border. Uzbekistan, Mauritania, Ecuador, Brazil, China, and mostly Peru. And get this, a thousand Chinese dressed like suburban families crossing the border. What's going on here? I I see, again, there's, there's the short term, the chaos, the disorder, sorting, uh, you know, good from bad and, and all the rest of that process. Long term, I see future Americans. Russia is losing population. It's the it's bigger than the United States geographically. Just not the way you do it, Harold. I think we're having two conversations. I think I want to have more immigrants, but they got to be screened. They have to be screened. I, we have to know who's here. I agree with that. But I also point out that there has never been a successful penetration of our southern border by a terrorist, as far as we know, ever, ever. I mean, there are people on terror watch lists and so forth uh, that uh, there's no ISIS, there's no Al Qaeda. As far as I know, there never has been. Well, there, and I there went was, out and looked. Before I this calendar year, it ended. There was 28. The border many, many times. But, but, but uh, I'm, listen, I'm talking about terrorists, but this is just not the way you do it. Biden is responsible Geraldo, for people would chaos. love to stay in your house in Ohio. So why can't they come, come and stay with you, all these people? Because you have a nice house and they're nice people. You can't do it that way. That's not the way our country works. I already have my Afghan driver. Where am I going to put them? <laughs> well, no, listen, stop complaining. You've got to open up your heart. Uh, America is for everybody. Uh, bring your huddled masses. Everyone, bring your huddled masses to my house and Geraldo's house. Geraldo, I'm just, I'm just, I could not be more. I believe we're going to equate this to a domestic version of the way we left Afghanistan. Ineptness, irresponsibility, and indifference. And another case in point is the. I think I don't defend Biden at all. I think President Biden has done exactly the wrong thing. Where he should have been stern, he was uh, compassionate and and welcoming. He gave ambiguous messages. He is to blame for this. uh, you know, uh, Afghanistan, we can have another conversation about that. But I, I I, agree. The question is, what do you do right at this minute? How can we deal with all those people? I mean, what's going to happen when you look at those the, the Constantina wire, the barbed wire that the uh, Texas National Guard has erected? What happens when the first infant slips from the mother's clutches and is in the river and drowning in the river? I mean, how are we going to feel about that? I mean, it's a, it's a real situation. We have to deal with a crisis. We have to deal with it, Brian. Uh, I want to talk about something else. So Daniel Penny, who plays lacrosse, you can relate to, lives on Long Island, you can relate to, 24 totally. years old, serves in the military. And I just, they, they just wrote his record down. He, um, he got, uh, he's gotten two, here it is. He has gotten the Good Conduct Medal. He's got the National Defense Service Medal, the Global War and Terrorist Service Needs. So he served four years right out of high school after starring. I know a few people that went to school with him, uh, starring uh, as a lacrosse player. So after serving our country, sitting on a, a subway, they said this guy was out of Jordan Neely, was out of control for a little while. And then when he finally got threatening is when he stepped up, put him in a chokehold or a submission hold and held it too long. And about 45 minutes ago, he was just uh, checking in and reporting into the 5th District 
of the 5th Precinct because he has been charged with second-degree manslaughter. And now they have 20 days with these new bail laws to put together a case against him. Uh, if you are his attorney, do you could you feel confident you're going to get a fair trial? First of all, you're absolutely right. I would totally identify with him. If it was if I was his age, I would have played lacrosse against him. I think he's from where West Islip, yep, uh, West Babylon, same league. Uh, I, I sympathize with him 100. percent I thank him for his service to the country. He did exactly what I would have done if uh, if Jordan Neely was. Uh, uh, on my train, scaring people, uh, a guy with an outstanding uh, arrest warrant for assaulting a 67-year-old woman, uh, 44 arrests, uh, you know, exactly the uh, the kind of terrorist uh, that has really uh, made the subways, uh, uh, you know, perilous for people. Uh, the, the problem is it's just uh, as an experienced fighter, you know, and I know, there's such a thing as tapping out. Uh, you know, you've got to know at what point. I mean, I've been in, I've been in bar fights. You start hitting someone, and at some point, you got to stop because uh, you already accomplished what your goal is. Now, what you know, why keep? So he going? held it too long. You're saying obviously he, he held it too long. But what is, it, it, it was self-defense until it wasn't self-defense. But let me ask you something. I wonder if they have the whole video because we only see the beginning and the end. But did you notice? And I think this is important. You as a lawyer, did you know this is two other guys who are holding his arms? And yeah. that, and wouldn't you think that logically that's because he was probably pounding on on him, and they no, said, I "Let me go that, grab I his arms." There were other there were other people, other passengers on that train who felt as uh, as uh, he did, as Perry did, uh, that this was a menace. This guy was a menace, particularly to the women on the train. You know, he, he punched like a six year old, sixty seven year old woman. That's what, I believe that citizens have the duty to protect their fellow citizens. The problem is, and, you know, you talk about the bystanders. Someone said, dude, you know, you're going to face a murder rap if you don't ease up. I mean, it wasn't like uh, Daniel. I didn't hear that. Yeah, it's on the tape. One guy says it on the tape. Uh, you know, you, you're going to face a murder rap. Uh, you, it, he should have, you know, I, I don't know. A chokehold is different than everything else. You know, it cuts off the blood to the brain, and it, and death is the result. It's uh, first is unconsciousness, and then uh, then comes death, because uh, the the brain is deprived of oxygen and and blood. Uh, you know, so w- once you once you employ a tactic like that, you have to know what the end result is. This is not. Uh, this is not, uh, you know, a punch in the face. This is a, a move that you use with deadly force on an enemy in a, in a combat situation. Uh, you know, you got to know when to ease up. You got to know when to tap out. You got to know when well, uh, yeah. enough is enough. That's in a way, in a way. But, but when you're when you're in a situation where you feel as though multiple lives are threatened, it's easy to sit back. Now, if you went around Bernie Getz down and started shooting people. No, I interviewed Bernard Getz. I, I was the one that got the exclusive interview. with Right. Me. But I'm just saying when there's no gun, those four black kids. Right. Well, there's and, no gun. There's a guy saying, I want to I want to get this guy to calm down. No, Bernie Getz was acquitted. Remember, he was only convicted of the of the illegal gun possession. Right. He was acquitted on the attempted murder or, or the, uh, uh, you know. It was so this is murder. even this is less offensive. This guy dies, but he he was in a submission hold. But, but you know, it wasn't a submission hold. It was a it was a it was a kill hold. Uh, you know, when you when you do that with the with the one forearm under the chin, and the other arm levering. It, I don't think it is. It's it's submission for the first twenty seconds. Then it gets a little gray area. Then it's clearly beyond the pale. It's well, there's no one clearly, with a stopwatch. I think, I think that he's lucky it's manslaughter, too. 
And, uh, oh. and I think that uh, he, he'll argue self-defense, and everybody that ever got scared on the subway, they're on the jury. They'll vote to acquit him. Uh, they I better. That's his best uh, chance. They better, uh, because if you're going to go up there and it's going to be the Wild West, you can't all of a sudden put rules down. And if, when you look at this guy's background, which I know is legally, I don't know if it enters the case, and you say, could he potentially have done stuff? Oh, absolutely. Can you march some people here that he punched and beat up and stole? How about the family of the seven-year-old kid he tried to kidnap? Yeah, this guy was a nobody, menace. Nobody, nobody knew his record when uh, this yeah. action was taken. I mean, it's in retrospect. But then when they said, did, did, they do ju- did he do just, was he right to take the action he did? Go, well, look at yes. his track record. Uh, yes, he yeah. was right to do the action he did until he wasn't right. Araldo, have a great weekend. Okay. Right. Thanks so much, man. So much right, going buddy. on. Unbelievable. one 408 7669 Back with your calls. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We know that this document exists. The FBI knows we know the, uh, the document exists. And instead of answering that simple question as to whether or not they have investigated this allegation and what their findings were, they simply explained to us what the document was and were, were very patronizing as to why uh, we didn't need to worry about the document, that uh, to trust them, they would trust look them. into it. Uh, that was James Comer. Uh, James Comer weighing in on the investigation on the Biden family business. We now know Romania, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, Moscow, Mayor, China, all part of the family business. We know the grandchildren benefited. We know uh, the the ex-wife benefited of uh, Hunter Biden. We know Hunter Biden suddenly has no money. And that is revealed in the 2016 emails that go back and forth talking about a deal that he got with Romania. And the lawyer is finding out because representing the the soon-to-be ex-wife of Hunter Biden said, yeah, you just got paid $150,000. I'd like half of it. What is taking so long to put into her account, Haley's account? So that helps them put this thing together. Who gave the money? And by the way, what service did they provide? How about access and the influence of the dad who was senator, vice president, and now president? Your call is next. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. He's set for a four-hour interview, Jesse, and he further confirmed that this thing was all political. Understand that Tony Blinken first contacts Mike Morrell and says, oh, what do you think about this laptop issue? And then Blinken later that same day, October 17, 2020, sends Mike Morrell the 
USA Today article, the story, that story gets put in the very letter that John Brennan, Mike Morrell, and 49 other former Intel officials sign on to. So, yeah, we expect, we expect uh, Mr. Goldman talked about public servants. We expect public servants not to use their title to influence an election. And it was so political when it was all done, this talking point they wanted to give Joe Biden for that final debate with President Trump. It was so political after that debate's over. The campaign calls up Mr. Morrell, thanks him for it. He gets an attaboy from Steve Reschetti, chairman of the Biden campaign. And, you know, no one can recount events like Jim Jordan. I think he's got a a photographic memory. But basically, the thing that really destroyed the laptop's credibility and backed up social media shelving it was those 51 names. And now we find out that the communication in in black and white and in an email was Morell to Brennan. Hey, would you sign on to this? I certainly will. Thank you for your efforts. And he did it. Not checking, not finding out from Joe Biden if this was actually your son's laptop, just signing off. And Mike Morell, behind closed doors, not denied, said my objective was to help Joe Biden and give him a talking point in the uh, give him a talking point in the debate, which most people thought he was going to get destroyed. Later on with that debate, you talk about unfortunate. Later on, we would find out that Donald Trump actually had COVID at the time. He flew in, beginning to have the symptoms, extremely aggravated. And then the one moment where it said, hey, your son, laptop, the deals back up exactly what Rudy Giuliani was pursuing in the Ukraine. Turns out, no, it's it's not true. And it caught Trump totally by surprise. And then when it comes to why did you sign on to this? These people are not being forced to answer those questions. I imagine behind closed doors. In very measured term, John Brennan admitted he never looked at the laptop. He just did it to help a guy hurt a guy he hated and hated him, Donald Trump. I mean, John Brennan was part of the whole Russia, Russia, Russia hoax that destroyed or certainly hampered two and a half years of the Trump administration. John Brennan was sitting there as an analyst on MSNBC just to, just railing against Trump. He's a Russian asset. James Clapper. Next week, he'll go in and destroy and to try to defend his signature on that very form. It's crazy. Here's more uh, from Mike Johnson on the meeting yesterday. Cut 29. Emerging from that long discussion with Mr. Brennan was a further confirmation uh, to us that this really was a political operation from the get-go. I would say overall he was guarded in his responses, which is what you would expect from an intelligence official. Um, but we, we, I would say I was not satisfied. Uh, with the answers provided today. We think there's a lot more to this, and I, I think the investigation will show that as we go forward. Yeah. It's just amazing that you work your whole life for some degree of credibility and you just give it up for Joe Biden. Here's uh, more from Jim Jordan, Cut 27. We asked him about what took place in the Publication Review Board, where it looks like someone, based on what Mr. Carrions, another individual who signed that letter, who had a different matter pending in front of that review board, gets called in October by that review board, and they said, your book is fine. Oh, by the way, would you like to sign on to this letter? So a a current employee of the CIA was actively soliciting people to sign on to this letter that was used in a total political fashion with all their names associated so Joe Biden would have a talking point in the debate. Why do you need a talking point if the laptop's not real? If it's all fake and Russian information, why would you need the talking point? And I keep going back to this. If you catch someone lying right to your face and then you continue to have a relationship with that person, in the back of your mind, I said to myself, okay, what does he look like or she? But what does he look like when he's lying to me? 
Joe Biden looked into the camera and said 51 Intel officials said that it was not my son's laptop, that it was classic Russian disinformation. He flat out lied. He knew it. And all all of these 51 had to do with uh, all, all these 51 had to do was make a call to anybody who was uh, who was on there. You know, I guess could. And Devin Archer, I would just call Joe Biden. Hey, Joe, before I sign my name. Is it your son's laptop? Because I'm going to put my 30 years of credibility on the line. Oh, you're not sure? All right. You don't mind if I stay out of this, do you? Okay, fine. So what also I find interesting, and I alluded to this before, uh, between 2016 and 2017, Hunter Biden was getting divorced. I wonder why. Was it the crack? Was it the guns? Was it him dating the widow of Bo? Who knows? But he's getting divorced, and he's got this attorney named Rebecca Sullivan. So they're trying to figure out how Haley is going to survive because Hunter's saying he has no money, evidently. So all of a sudden, from Hunton's abandoned laptop, we're able to reconstruct a divorce conversation. Now, I don't want to know his personal stuff, but I would like to know where money is. So Hunter and, and his ex-wife were aware of payments from a Romanian deal and discussed how it should be divided among the two parties since they're now separating. Uh, Buell, which is her maiden name, was one of several Biden family members, including Haley Biden, who received foreign money and that Hunter received over $1 million from Romania. So they're asking, where is the money? Why is it not in my TD bank account? And I bring you to this. We don't have Joe Biden directly involved in this, but Joe Biden is all over this. And the question is, why is the FBI not turning over the document that would reveal that Joe Biden arranged some of this? That's according to the whistleblower and profited some of our foreign policy with access to these foreign leaders and foreign business people. So they asked for this certain document, and Chris Ray says, yeah, we're not going to give it to you. So I know you got to give it to us. And he says, no, we got to give it. And you know why? Because when we took that in, we couldn't verify it. But if whistleblower goes forward, we take down everything they're saying. But since we can't verify it, I can't put it out there in the bloodstream. So they're dying. They're denying, I think, 88-year-old Senator Grassley Hardly a political firebrand. You're not asking to give it to Ted Cruz, but a very measured guy who, by the way, just recently said something interesting. As I watched Donald Trump's uh, interviews, he keeps saying the same thing over and over again. I need to know what he's going to do. I don't want to hear about 2020. So he has no problem taking on his party. And the FBI continues to say, yeah, we're not giving this over. And why is the DOJ not interested? Over 100 uh, red flags about banking with countries that are on looked at as enemy of America with the Hunter Biden series of 20 businesses they had. So over a hundred times, why wouldn't the FBI goes, you know, I got to look into this. This guy's already on a weapons charge. This guy's already on tax evasion. We already find him $2 million. So let's find out what else he's up to. And if it was anybody on the other side, believe me, this would be a long drawn out investigation. Instead, it's a long drawn out investigation, maybe until until the election's over on Hunter Biden. Which means to me, they know that it links back to Joe. So the other big story is the debt ceiling. And the the market went down yesterday because the debt ceiling talks were delayed. They were supposed to have other principal meetings. But actually, if you read the story, the staffers are making progress with Republicans and Democrats coming up with some type of way to lift the debt ceiling, which you would think is a red flag to make some cuts and be more responsible when it comes to spending, uh, spending and cutting. So they're working together, and now they're making more progress. And it looks like next Tuesday, Joe Biden's calling for another meeting among the principals. So they're getting things done. The other thing is i got to salute the House. 
The House came up and took the challenge that Joe Biden said, hey, guys, why don't you pass a series of criteria, Bill, that your image of what would happen to raise the debt ceiling, what you need me to do. So he thought he's got four, you know, he's got four votes. He's got four votes to lose. He's never going to be able to pass it. Kevin McCarthy passed it. So then we have Mayorkas coming out and saying this about blaming Congress for the problems going on at the border. Cut to. Our current situation is the outcome of Congress leaving a broken, outdated immigration system in place for over two decades, despite unanimous agreement that we desperately need legislative reform. It is also the result of Congress's decision not to provide us with the resources we need and that we requested. Not true. You wanted 87,000 IRS agents, but you didn't want 87,000 Border Patrol. House approved yesterday, took the challenge to bolster border security, finish the border wall, and hire thousands of agents as Title 42 expires. 219 to 213, they approved the Secure and Border Act. Only two Republicans voted against it. It was Tom Massey and a guy I never heard of, John Duarte. Uh, But they did it. So now it's up to the Senate to do something to somebody at some point. So it's up to the White House to do something at the border to stop over 100 countries from sending their citizens who may or may not be anybody we want in our country, who aren't being screened. We have no idea who they are. So the debt ceiling deal, Kevin McCarthy's there. When it comes to immigration, Kevin McCarthy had one of his first big meetings as speaker at the border. You know who doesn't go to the border? The vice president. You know who could distinguish themselves and be in uh, be uh, get their elbows dirty and dig in on this border security bill? The vice president. You know who desperately needs a facelift and an image redo? The vice president. And where is she? Waiting for another uprising and Capitol being stormed in Nashville, maybe? Or maybe waiting for another abortion speech where she talks about the glory of having an abortion? Nowhere to be found. Evidently, there's a political report that Joe Biden keeps blowing up because nothing's changing at the border and he's losing it. And then he quickly apologizes. You're not demanding any change. Trump fired two or three people, got criticized for it because they weren't pressuring Mexico. They weren't pressuring Ecuador. They weren't pressuring Guatemala. They weren't all over Panama. And when they pressured, when the pressure actually resulted in less traffic, he restored their aid and backed off when it came to tariffs. You do that, Mr. President. You're great at executive orders, aren't you? When we come back, Jack Keen, more to know. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. You know, I always love talking to General Jack Keen, especially every Friday we do it on Fox & Friends. I'm able to bring the highlights and make my military segments better. Kind of interesting to talk to General Jack when it came uh, came to uh, public knowledge that it looks as though Jake Sullivan met with his counterpart uh, in China, uh, actually in Vienna, but with his Chinese counterpart. Now, they have not spoken since the Chinese spy balloon. Believe it or not, they we are telling them we have to get over it, that we're going to get over the Chinese spy balloon. Well, excuse me. You, so you, had, you flew it over our country. And now you're telling uh, telling them to get over it. 
We are just begging for these meetings. So it took place over the course of four hours. So I asked General Jack Keane, and he is Fox's senior strategic analyst when it comes to all things military. Here's the four-star general talking about China and a little Ukraine. General, do you like the tone and circumstances that led to this meeting? Well, I think we're very anxious to renew the communication after that Chinese. This is pretty rich. I mean, the Chinese did one of the most aggressive acts I've ever seen, penetrated United States airspace for an entire week and and broke off communications with us as a result of it. And they pout for a number of months. And we're anxious to get back into negotiations with them. I do believe we should talk to each other. We did that with the Soviet Union for years. But what my concern is, it's the Chinese aggression that is destabilizing the relationship between ourselves and China and also in the region. And it's China's support of Russia, who is invading Ukraine, an illegal invasion of an independent democratic country. And you can see China's aggression being played out every single day in the region. That is the destabilizing factor. And if we go in there and we're firm with them and lay out our cards in terms of what they're doing to get the response that we have, then that's okay. But we shouldn't be showing weakness because we know what the reality is when you show weakness you get more aggression. Right. And certainly we got to put on the table, Brian, the precursor chemicals that they're shoving into Mexico that is killing tens of thousands of, of Americans uh, in this country on, on a regular basis. Those are the issues that we need to put in front of them. Their aggression, their desire to undermine the United States and their penetration of our society in such a comprehensive manner it's the number one target we have ever faced in the history of the country. General, uh, there's a fundamental misunderstanding on, uh, with this administration on how we handle our enemies. They want to show an openness and, a, and a, an approach that our enemies look at as weakness. And, and begging to, re, to send our Secretary of State to China, you might want the result, but how we get there is going to put us on our back foot. We're never going to get the results. Let's fast forward over to Ukraine. Uh, where we understand there we're going to be the surge, expected surge is on hold, the offensive, counteroffensive is on hold. But there are reporting of some Ukrainian gains in Bakhmud um, already, and some of these, some, there's a sense that maybe the Russians are pulling out. I doubt that they're going to pull out, but listen, this has been an absolute nightmare uh, for the Russians and the Wagner Group. Yeah, they're mercenary private firms, so, so to speak. Uh, why? Because for over nine months, they have wanted to take this city, a small one at that, with no military value, as, as a symbol of their success in Ukraine, after multiple failures in Ukraine. And they have not been able to do it. And now the Ukrainians are, are conducting some local counterattacks that are being successful. That, that's what's happened here. This is not the beginning of the Ukrainian offensive which the head of the Wagner Group is claiming. He's only doing that because he's had abject failure here as well. The Ukrainians are not going to give up Bagmut. I don't think the Russians are going to pull out of there either. It has too much symbolic value to them, because they, and they have created that value themselves. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be, it's got to be a big summer for Ukraine if they're going to have success. And it does seem like the Russians, who have to repurpose their museum tanks and bring back World War II tanks. That's how low they're getting uh, with their ammunition and their weaponry. Uh, General, thanks so much. Appreciate it. 
Yeah, you guys have a great weekend. Thank you. Uh, you too. That was General Jack Keane. Now let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Spirits Capital Corporation. Barreled whiskey is the cash cow of industry insiders. But now you too can invest in premium American whiskey as it ages. Go to caskdeeds.com. C-A-S-K-Deeds.com to learn more. Paid for by Spirits Capital Corporation. The average adult has not spoken to their neighbors for three weeks. Although millions still enjoy positive, passive-aggressive messages about them on social media pages. So here we go. A study of 2,000 adults in the U.K. discovered that 56% of those uh, in local online groups encounter sniping and mudslinging, with 34% described it as pure entertainment. Additionally, 47% have shared information with friends and family about certain posts because they were either outrageous or amusing. 31% of adults are friends with neighbors on Facebook, while only 70% follow at least one Instagram. The study commissioned by mobile network GIFGAF to examine the level of community spirit in the U.K., also found that one in 20 participants cannot remember the last time they spoke to their neighbor face-to-face. That's a problem everywhere, I guess. What next. is that for you? I don't, I don't know. I don't talk to them. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess that is. Next, a flower delivery service has a great idea. They've launched AI bot Momverse that can write poems for Mother's Day. Oh, how insincere. Those dreading signing cards need not fear. A flower delivery service is here. Uh, dubbed Momverse, 1-800-Flowers.com, says the chatbot can create original, one-of-a-kind verses, including personalized poems and songs just in time for Mother's Day. We did this on Fox and Friends. You know, it's coming up this Sunday, by the way. And, and by the way, they wrote a whole poem. They got my dog's names and my kids' names in it. Mentioned my anniversary. Put it together. 11 seconds. Well, I, I'm going to have to start using this for uh, But, and, you know, for me to be high and mighty, what about Hallmark? Those aren't my words either. Top Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Brian Kilmeade here. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we're coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, where all the action is. Molly Hemingway in studio. We always love that. And Daryl Johnston, uh, the Dallas Cowboy Legend, three-time Super Bowl champion, running the USFL, also outstanding broadcaster of Fox Sports. The schedule's released. Some big games are on the on the docket, some big moves. I got to get uh, Daryl Johnson on that, and we also got to hear from you. Uh, so before we get to Molly Hemingway, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This thing was all political. Understand that Tony Blinken first contacts Mike Morrell and says, oh, what do you think about this laptop issue? That story gets put in the very letter that John Brennan, Mike Morrell, and 49 other former Intel officials sign on to. Jim Jordan breaking down what really led up to the release of that letter that said it was classic Russian disinformation. More proof, the intel, the press, and the DOJ are in bed with Biden as John Brennan goes behind closed door for four hours. And we get more on the plot to protect Hunter and the Biden family. Number two. The DA will make the determination on how to handle this case. And I respect that. I respect uh, DA Bragg's, uh, his job and what he has to do. And he did. Manslaughter. Daniel Penny is to face 10 years in prison. Why? The subway chokehold death of Jordan Neely, a, a perennial criminal 
Manhattan DA confirms he is turning himself in and has in weeks of protests. Don't expect anyone to step up again uh, in a subway should anyone be in pro- should anyone be in trouble. That's what you get. Number one. Will you be on shaky legal ground, though, with mass releases? Your question has a factual predicate with which I would disagree about mass releases, number one. I wouldn't. Disaster in every way. A mass of humanity from dozens of countries is flooding our southern border right now. It's impossible to keep up with the impossible process and impossible to screen. America is essentially being invaded intentionally or not. President Biden's policies are 100 percent to blame. This is a domestic version of Biden's evacuation of Afghanistan. Molly, what the hell is going on at the southern border? Great to see you, by the way. Great to see you. And it shouldn't be surprising to anyone when Biden ran for office, he announced that he would open up the border. You actually started seeing floods of immigrants coming before he even was inaugurated. We've had six million illegal aliens entering the country under Biden's more than six million under Biden's administration. And now. We have this end of Title 42, which was the only means by which we were keeping any kind of lid on what was happening. It's ending. But this is not a serious country. Like, we are not a serious country if we don't have borders, and we don't have borders. Right. And right now, I can't believe the the United Nations is coming through our borders. Got a 1,000 Chinese, Kazakhstan, you have uh, Pakistan. I couldn't believe – I mean, look at these countries that have been represented. According to the Border Patrol, is telling uh, Phil Malusian – so you have Turkey, India, Angola, Jamaica, Afghanistan, Russia, Guinea, and Pakistan. These are where these people are coming from. Ecuador, uh, Uzbekistan, Georgia, Brazil, and China, as well as mostly from – get this uh, – mostly from Peru on Thursday. I mean, why what not? What are they doing? Though, I mean, this is a wonderful country. There are many opportunities here. Of course people want to come from all over the world. It is our job to make sure that we are interested in how our country operates and how our different classes of people operate. Like this type of flooding of the borders is a great way to harm the most marginalized among us, to decrease the wages of the lower classes. That's why you care about these things. And just having any kind of national security concern, who knows who's flooding across the border in terms of terrorist threats or other uh, security threats. And more than anything, too, we are enabling a horrific humanitarian crisis because the cartels are the ones actually running who gets to come over and who doesn't. They're very bad criminal organizations. There's sexual abuse. There's violence. The drug trafficking. It's just it's a horrific humanitarian crisis. Well, Molly, something else is playing out. It's states against the federal government. We literally have the Texas Special Forces moving in, putting up razor wire, pushing people out of the country while the Border Patrol sits in their green uniform and says, I really can't do that, what you're doing. When is that? How, how is that going to coexist? I mean, this could this could become quite hot quite quickly. It's not the first time the federal government has told or, you know, that, that there's been this conflict when Arizona tried to enforce some kind of border structure. The federal government took it down. The federal government under Joe Biden wants this invasion. The states have to deal with it. The cities have to deal with it. And all of the repercussions of having this flood. Well, of why people do they want through. it? Well, I, I, unless you're anti-American, why would you want this? Well, I think it does serve some interests like decreasing wages of lower class workers can serve upper class people. Uh, You actually have heard some people say this in testimony on the Hill where they say, well, if we don't allow a flood of illegal immigrants, who's going to clean my house? It's like, oh, my goodness. It's just they say they say the thing that you think that they might be thinking out loud and you realize they really have this horrific view, not just I mean, just it's also just a horrific view of our own 
Americans who do not have the same stock tips that Nancy Pelosi So when has. I read in Politico that the president's losing his temper and has exploded a few times saying, how come nothing's getting better, nothing's getting done, and then apologizes later, is that all show? Is that like a leak to make me seem Joe Biden is exasperated? Because Trump was volatile about it too. Fix this. You're fired. Get somebody else in here. Yeah, it does sound like it does. It just doesn't sound true because when he's been asked point blank what he thinks about this, he has openly stated his desire for just wide open borders. I do think there is a truth, though, that one gets the feeling that Joe Biden's not the person running the country. He doesn't seem to have the mental. Well, it can't be Susan Rice it. anymore. No, it's probably you know a team of people, but I don't think he really knows what's going on. I don't think he really. I don't think he has the capabilities. He's beyond that. Unbelievable. If that if that is indeed the case, and of course we've heard those rumors. So. I've told you about what's happening in Texas. What about what's happening in New York? Mayor Eric Adams has accepted 60,000 people in his sanctuary city here. 127 separate hotels, eight separate emergency facilities. Now they're going to convert a hangar at JFK Airport, which I don't have been to JFK. Look around. There's nothing there. So after you get off your cot, after sleeping your eight hours, what are you doing during the day? So after that, he says, I'm going to start shipping him to counties. The surrounding counties of, of Westchester, Rockland, Orange, soon it's going to be Nassau and Suffolk. Uh, excuse me, they're not sanctuary counties. He is doing this without even telling, doing deals with hotels and shipping them out after they get to the Port Authority. Think about this. The mayor is going after county executives while the governor and the president sit back. It's chaos. It's chaos. And by the way, did you hear Joe Biden say yesterday that it was going to be more chaos, which, you know, he just doesn't even seem that. to be caring yeah. about it at all. But this type of shipping illegal immigrants around the country is what we've been going through for years. And a lot of the communities that have had to absorb this are quiet rural communities in the middle of the country. And now that the problem is facing cities like Chicago or Washington, D.C. or New York City, now you're starting to see even fairly left-wing Democrat mayors talk about what a crisis it is. But there's no need for any of this to happen. Again, if we were a serious country, we would enforce our borders. We would understand that borders are actually what make a country. And we w- it would be a much better process for managed immigration of the type that most Americans support. So Todd Benzman's at the border for us. And I guess he's doing for himself, too, but he's been on our channel a lot. He, uh, he's with the Center for Immigration Studies. And this is what he's seeing at the border in, in, uh, in Texas. Cut 10. Mexican immigration officers would station themselves behind me right at the water's edge and kind of uh, persuade people to the large crowds of people to just hold back, hold back. Uh, Your time will come. Your time will come. And then at some mysterious signal, all of a sudden they would be signaled and they'd all stand up and rush down to the river and cross maybe 150 at a time. And then they would get back in and cut them off. And when I asked what that was all about, Uh, The immigration officers explained that the uh, DHS, uh, Border Patrol, on the other side was communicating with their supervisors about when they're ready for them. And then when they're ready, they say, send them over. We're ready to have them over. We process the last batch, bring them in. They would swim across. This went on all day, all night, uh, for uh, two weeks straight. Does that astound you, Molly? It's just... Amazing. I mean, I, I'd heard someone say too recently that this is the largest influx of illegal immigrants to any country in human history. This type of flood that's just coming in. Um, but 
again, I guess we shouldn't be surprised because day one of the Biden administration, they set about to take away any of the protections that had been built up of the border that had been built up over the previous four years. It was systematic. It was deliberate. And this itself is not a surprise. The end of Title 42 is not a surprise. There's been no preparation for it because this is actually the goal of the Biden administration to have this type of influx. I don't do you think every, I just can't believe it. It's like saying, would you is your goal to lose by uh, when you go to play hockey, lose by 14 goals? Because it, you know, it's not even clear anymore that the Hispanics coming over will vote Democrat because we're seeing the Hispanic vote bleed into the Republican column because they don't like this. Yeah. So I thought that's almost like an old theory that didn't hold up. Well, I think there are I think there there are bigger issues in play about a desire to change the nature of the country, to have a much greater welfare type state, to we grow afford. the bureaucracy, to just fundamentally change the the nature of the country and how we understand what it means to be American. I mean, a lot of people are coming here because they do know it's a land of opportunity. A lot of people come because we have a really extensive welfare state that burdens the people who are working legally. Um, but, you know, I just want to say one other thing, which is the American people have been pretty clear about wanting border security. It was actually a huge issue in the 2016 election. It's why Donald Trump won the primary. It's a big part of why he won the eventual presidency. And people in both parties kind of talk a game about how they're going to do something to control the border. The American people have been really clear for decades that they want something done. And people in both parties have have not done what the American people have wanted. That creates a bigger disconnect between the establishment and the people, and it can cause all sorts of problems. I I have... Zero criticism of the president at the border, the former president, Trump, because he did everything possible to the point where he was getting criticism for firing people, pushing people. And when he gets $1.8 billion to build a wall, and that's going to build about 100 miles. So he ended up repurposing, I think it was Jared Kushner's idea, the defense spending. So he rebuilt or added 450 miles of wall. They say 52 was new. But when you have a split rail fence, I don't consider that a wall. So he's building it across. If he got four more years, I think he would have probably we paid for about 600. And it's just rotting in the desert, which is just crazy. And I think if you look at Senator Sinema, there's no there's no plan here. Senator Manchin. There's absolutely no plan here. Henry Cuellar, there's no plan here. Governor Hobbs, who seems to be, I don't know much about her except she's way to the left. She's saying that I can't get a response from the Biden administration. The president of Guatemala said I have 80,000 people passing through my country. I can't get a return phone call from the administration. That's nuts. And that's some of the worst things because border walls are important or fine, but so much of what needs to be done to control the border requires working with those countries south of our border to make sure that they are not encouraging and facilitating this type of invasion. Yeah, here's Lindsey Graham, cut 17. What you heard today was political BS. They're not changing the policies in any way to deter anybody from coming. I promise you this. Nobody headed to America is going to turn around because what Secretary Marker said. Nobody is going to turn around because they know what he said is all BS. The traffickers, the cartels heard today business as usual. Right, because he keeps saying the borders uh, closed, and it's not, and, and it's such an insult. Then he asked, so interesting. He said, "Congress do something," and the House just passed the hardest border legislation. Oh yeah, remember the President Biden said, "Yeah, House do something." They just passed what it would take to raise the debt ceiling. 
The House is stepping up with the four point with a four vote margin. I think people should pause and reflect on this. Yeah, just what a miracle this is. People are so used to Republicans disappointing them when they get power. They have the tiniest, slimmest of majorities, and they're doing amazing work. And now this is the second time that they have called Biden's bluff. Biden says he doesn't need to do anything because he doubts the Republicans who control the House will pass anything. They did it with the debt ceiling. They raised the debt ceiling limit, totally destroying his claim that he could not um, he, he wouldn't negotiate with them because they wouldn't get anything done. Now they've done it again with the border. I'm sure they will return to disappointing Americans shortly, but it's like going on for months now that they have managed to stick together and get some really good stuff done. I want to come back in so I don't take up too much of the next segment. Do you have another segment in your mind or do yes. you have to run? Yes, I'm good. Because I don't take rejection well. Okay. So if you do blow me off, it's going to hurt. I'm going to pretend like it doesn't hurt, but it will really hurt me, um, which I should have during rehearsal. You, I should have probably asked that. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Talk a little football in fifteen minutes. Back in five minutes, Molly Hemingway. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. That man you were so upset to hear from last night, he may be president of the United States in less than two years. And that audience that upset you, that's a sampling of about half the country. They are your family members, your neighbors, and they are voting. And many said they're voting for him. Now, maybe you haven't been paying attention to him since he left office. Maybe you've been enjoying not hearing from him, thinking it can't happen again. Some investigation is going to stop him. Well, it hasn't so far. So if last night showed anything, it showed it can happen again. It is happening again. He hasn't changed, and he is running hard. You have every right to be outraged today and angry and never watch this network again. But do you think staying in your silo and only listening to people you agree with is going to make that person go away? That is Anderson Cooper the day after the big town hall with Donald Trump and Caitlin uh, Collins. Um, is it Collins? Yeah, Caitlin Collins. Doesn't sound right. Molly Hemingway here. Molly. The, the the aftermath, the backlash that CNN's experiencing, even though they got 3.2 million people, uh, I'm astounded. Are you? It's an added bonus. So the town hall itself was <laughs> – You were laughing when Anderson Cooper was talking. Oh, that is the funniest thing I've heard in a really long time. It It's so condescending to his audience too. Like of course the front runner for the Republican nomination is someone that any legitimate news organization should be dealing with yes. quite regularly. Uh, that you have to gently talk to your audience and explain why that's significant. Or like how cloistered are they that they don't know people who like Donald Trump? There are tens of millions of people who are super fans of this guy. And if you don't know any of them, you're living in a really sheltered, naive place. Um, but it was a reminder of how effective the left has been at silencing not just Trump but a lot of conservative voices where they just you know keep them from being able to talk. And then, you know, it had been years since we'd seen Donald Trump in that kind of environment. And it was had this weird effect of being, like, really refreshing and interesting. You liked it. Yeah, and, like, if you'd heard it every day, you might have been like, ah, I'm sick of this. But, but hearing it after a few years off, you're like, oh, this is why people like Well, the Trump team is really happy about the way it went. And Trump is really happy. He said CNN did a good thing having me on. And remember, they loved him in 2015. He was doing their shows, calling into every show at, 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 with CNN. He went, you want me on? I'm coming on. I'm coming on. And then all of a sudden when it became the nominee and it got closer and closer, in come the Russia investigation, it became pretty clear that – and Hillary Clinton's investigation goes by the boards. This is not going to be easy. 
And then they totally turned on him for the next four years. It didn't just turn, but they became out and out propaganda. They ran. They were a major player in the Russia collusion hoax, the made up story that Trump was a traitor who had colluded with Russia to steal the 2016 election. And uh, and now they have him back on. I mean, this three point one million is like the biggest ratings they've had in a very long time. It doesn't. You know, it's like it's like a it's like a afternoon rating. But, for but here's us. how they blew it, Molly. If they showed an openness to hearing what he had to say, because the reason why he's gaining popularity, almost all his policies have been reversed and they're all not working. So it is a very different situation than 2020. They were just as hostile. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, so this is and it, people can kind of say, OK, I remember 2016 to 2020. We had no new wars breaking out. We had wages increasing. Border, 450,000. And so now you've got a little bit of experience of what it's like to have Democrats in power. And it's not going well for the country. It's not going well for paychecks or people's bottom line. All of a sudden, it seems much more refreshing to have good governance. And if you want to know what really happened behind the scenes of the election, picked up Molly's book, Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech, and the Democrats Seized Our Elections. Little different description than Trump has it, but you talk about what happened behind the scenes. What actually happened, yes. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Under 10 seconds. Magoo on the run, directing traffic, and Magoo just gets out of bounds with the time run out. Clock has zeros on it. Did he score? He did. Third and goal. Magoo dancing, buying time. Magoo still looking for someone to throw it to. To the end zone, open for the touchdown. Davion Davis. And there you go. Alex Magoo, two touchdowns, helps the Stallions edge the Maulers uh, 24-20. So the USFL continues to rage on a second season, moving through with Fox uh, at the helm and Daryl Johnston calling the shots, former NFL superstar with the Dallas Cowboys, where he won uh, with three Super Bowl championships. He's also an outstanding broadcaster for Fox Sports and now running the United States Football League as executive vice president of football operations through week four. Daryl, welcome back. How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. Um, I think a couple of our teams that got off to kind of a slow start uh, have righted the ship a little bit. Um, Michigan has come back to the pack. I think we see a lot of continuity uh, and consistency in our, in our hub here in Birmingham with New Orleans and the Birmingham teams. Um, and excited to see what we what we see this weekend getting to the halfway point and then what we have the second half of the season. Yeah, I mean, so far, you know, moving through, you moved out to venues. Everybody used to play one area. Now you moved out to Canton, you moved out to uh, Detroit, you moved out to Memphis, and you, and you stayed in Birmingham. So it's, uh, it, the logistically, it's more of a challenge, but I love the model. You want to make this work, so you've got to do it responsibly. Save money where you can, give people a product and a player something, that, something where they can shine. Absolutely. And it goes back to year one. Crawl, walk, run. You know, we, we don't want to grow too fast. We want to be... Um, you know, very disciplined in, in how we expand. Uh, we want to make this sustainable, um, you know, not only, you know, for the USFL itself, but for the opportunity creation that we provide these players. So, uh, you know, it, it's up to us to be responsible. It's been, it's been well-received into the marketplaces. Uh, I've been able to be at the opening game in Birmingham, uh, the opening game in Detroit. I uh, was at Canton last week for the first time, have been in Memphis. So, you know, the support in all four of our hubs has been good. It's still challenging 
for that off team, um, you know, the New Orleans franchise here in Birmingham, the Philadelphia franchise in Detroit, the Houston franchise in Memphis, and then and really in Canton, which last week for me was very, very enjoyable. I, I thought the game day experience in the setting uh, may have been the most enjoyable one I've had so far. The games were very, very competitive um, all day Sunday. So I, I just thought that Canton did a really, really nice job. And, and that's great to see because there's really not that connection, you know, to Pittsburgh or to New Jersey, but everything that the hall of fame and the hall of fame village are doing and everything in conjunction with our marketing groups up there have really made that a very enjoyable game day experience. All right. So we, now you have the New Orleans breakers. People remember the Memphis showboats and the gamblers, uh, and the Philadelphia Stars, New Jersey Generals. Uh, with those, you think of names like Herschel Walker. You think of Doug Flutie. You think of Jim Kelly. You, you, you think of Steve Young. Uh, are you? Is there a movement to start bringing that legacy, those some of those players back, to have a presence at the game and promoting promoting the league? Absolutely. Uh, we were able to resolve that in the off season, um, and, and now we have, you know, the rights to a lot of the historical data uh, in certain ways that we want to promote the league. Um, so actually was on the phone with Jim Kelly yesterday nice. and trying to see where his schedule permitted him to, to join us for a Houston Gamblers game. Um, you know, we've reached out to Herschel Walker several times, you know, earlier this season, um, you know, we had one of our kickers, you know, came in, uh, you know, went five for five in week one. And then we had Chris Blue do it again uh, in week three. And, and we're tying records that were sent or, or, or set 39 years ago. Um, so those are really cool things when you talk about the history of the league. So any any way that we can bring in those names that you mentioned and make that connection back uh, is something that we we really, really want to do. We're really excited to do because. That was one of the things I saw when I was in Michigan for the opener a couple of weeks ago was that generational connection where there's dad, who's a Michigan Panthers fan from 1983, bringing his son to a Michigan Panthers game in 2023, 40 years later. And, you know, just kind of watching that whole dynamic play out. It's, it's a really unique situation for us to be in, and we want to make sure that we embrace that and maximize that opportunity. Right. So week four, the score, uh, the Gamblers won, uh, the Showboats, New Orleans, and Birmingham. This week, Pittsburgh plays at Michigan. Uh, that game starts at 1230 on USA. Gamblers play at Birmingham. That'll be Saturday at 4 o'clock on Fox. New Jersey Generals at Philadelphia Stars. That'll be on NBC, because NBC is a partner in Detroit. Uh, Memphis Showboats at New Orleans. That'll be in Birmingham. That'll be at 3 o'clock on, on Fox on Mother's Day, so that'll be great. The other job is a broadcaster with the league in which you start in, in the NFL. The NFL schedule is announced. Now that's getting bigger and bigger every year. I can't believe how big the NFL is getting. Here's the, an announcement of a game that I know you're looking forward to. Now suddenly everyone's going to be watching. Cut 41. Week 1 all wraps up. With the Bills and the Jets, Monday night football, the question, Cynthia Freeland, as we examine all of these week one games as they're officially released, which one has you the most excited? The Monday nighter. I think Aaron Rodgers, we've been hearing nothing but Aaron Rodgers news, all free agency, and now he hosts Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills (laughs) in the first week of the season on Monday night in front of the big lights in the big city. I think this is an interesting (laughs) one because this division is a total nightmare, and it all starts week one because this could be kind of the fight for number one and number two, and it could have big implications right off the bat. Yes, and now Aaron Rodgers has brought the Jets to six primetime games. 
How, what is that? Is that seem weird to you as a guy who played in this league and has been calling games in this league? People are excited about the Jets. Like I never remember before. It, it's, it's such an affirmation that this is really a quarterback driven league, especially yeah. when you have somebody the caliber of Aaron Rodgers, and, and really when you look at the Jets, we had them twice last year late in the season, and everybody, you know, hey, one player doesn't make a team, and, and I, am, I am a firm believer in that. Football is the greatest team sport ever designed um, because you have an offense, a defense, and a special teams, and one group turns over the, the fortune of the game to the other two all day long, but that quarterback position is very, very unique. And if, if a team could ever be just like one player away from really kind of shifting the dynamic of a franchise, I would say it's the Jets and the quarterback position because when you watch them last year, that was the struggle, was just the play of the quarterback. Uh, they, they felt like they had committed to, to address that problem. It didn't work out, so now they've got to change plans and – that offensive line, the defense, the skill positions, both wide receiver uh, and running back, are, are very good. And you bring Aaron Rodgers into the fold there, and, and it's going to be a unique situation to see how much he improves that team just being that single player. Uh, but the follow-up off of the question you know, from the NFL Network, you know, what game are you waiting for week one for me? It's the Thursday night game. It's Detroit-Kansas City. Uh, I, I'm a, I'm a a big fan of what Detroit has done since Dan Campbell has gotten there. They were an up-and-coming team. What they did in that final week of the season with nothing to play for and knocking Green Bay out shows you the competitiveness that Dan Campbell has brought to that team. And what better way to find out exactly who you're going to be in 2023 than to go up against the defending Super Bowl champs uh, in a Thursday night opener. Yeah, I think that's great. I love that because when I watched Dan Campbell personally take these losses so bad the first year, I thought to myself, man, I wonder if he's going to burn out because Rex Ryan was like that too, very emotional, uh, promising this, promising that. But he ends up bringing some quality to that franchise. It also helps they got some talent. A couple of things. Um, and not, it's not just about Aaron Rodgers. Since we last spoke, Lamar Jackson signed the richest contract, I think, for any quarterback in the league. I know John Harbaugh loves him. Are you convinced that he could be effective with that, without running as much? Because, you know, these quarterbacks, they get hurt when they put themselves out there. But yet, can he be effective without running? I think that that's part of the problem with Lamar Jackson is, is that threat of the run and how that opens up the passing game and how much they're able to do off the passing game because of the threat of the run. And so it's that, it's that really challenging dynamic. And, and sometimes it's not just injury. It's just how much you've leaned on Lamar Jackson during the course of the season for offensive production that when you get to the end of the season, if, if you're not nicked up and hurt, which everybody is coming in, but if it's, if it's not something that prevents you from playing, your, your, your tank is just – it's a little bit empty right now. Um, you know, they, they count on him to do so much offensively that that, to me, is the biggest thing. Can, can you share that burden you know, during the months of October and November. So when you get to December and January, you know, Lamar still got some, some juice left in that tank because that's when you need him to be at his best. And what we've seen, you know, several times over the past few seasons is that body starts to break down because you've leaned on him so much to be the star right. of that offense. So I, I think that that's going to be a challenge for all the quarterbacks who play the position that way. It'll be interesting to see how Jalen Hurts handles that now, um, you know, because they're going to be leaning on him to do a lot more. He probably has a lot better supporting cast, probably has a lot better defense when you talk about sacks and takeaways to give him short fields. But, 
you know, you're still going to be looking for Jalen Hurts to produce a lot of that yardage for you offensively. And we're talking uh, with Daryl Johnson. Cut one more minute here. Daryl, people listening to WOKV over in Jacksonville are worried that, you know, they're going to start telling this team to play half their home games in London, and they have a trial run. First time ever, one team will play two games in London back-to-back weeks. I think the first game's Wembley. The next game's in Tottenham Stadium, the Hotspur Stadium. Uh, How do you feel about that? I mean, how significant is that? And is that difficult for the players? Yes. Yes, it is. And and they've always been able to work around that with, you know, one of the teams always, you know, everybody has that buy. You go over and do the international game. And when you come back, you have your bye week the following week to kind of get back on, you know, your body clock and and get ready for that that next game. So I I think it's going to be interesting as the NFL expands into the international market. Um, I, I think from building a passion for the game overseas um, and, and taking games over there has, has been, you know, something that that's unique and you can see the success in it. You know, when we used to do the preseason games back in the day and we weren't doing regular season games, we didn't draw a lot of interest once the fans over there figured it out that, Hey, in the preseason, the stars don't play. So we're not going to go to the games because we don't get to see the guys play who we want to watch play. So now you've got to commit to regular season games. If you're going to hook, the uh, the overseas yeah. international audience to the game, um, but now you're on that slippery slope. And, and I know there's been rumors about doing half the games, half the home games over there uh, with Jacksonville. I I just have never been a fan of that model. I think there's it's a way fair. for us to engage with the European market, but I I am not in favor of putting multiple games over in London for one team. Yeah, it's not fair. By the way, I was at Jacksonville's playoff game. Uh, they are in love with that team. And they have as much promise, in my humble opinion, you're the expert, as any team in the league. And Trevor Lawrence truly emerged. And the way he was able to shake off that bad first half in his first playoff game and come out and play that well and stage that comeback, I could not have been more impressed. I agree. I agree. They're an up-and-coming team. They're one of the teams that I think everybody's excited to watch this year. You know, they... they, you, that's exactly right, Brian. I mean, that, you, you, if you tuned into that game and you had not seen the first half, I don't know if you stay and watch it. I mean, it's just like, oh, my gosh, look at the score. There's no way you're going to get back into this game. You know, with your first playoff start in the NFL, um, you know, it's been a bumpy ride for Jacksonville the last few years, but but they're definitely a team that I want to see play this yeah. year. You know, they, they, they could control that division, and now you're asking a team – it's probably, you know, you look at that Tennessee, sure, but they've got some questions that they've got to answer. But right now, I would think that Jacksonville, you know, is going to be one of the favorites to win the AFC South. And now you're going to ask them, you're going to tax them and burden them to make these trips overseas. I, I just think it's a, I think it's a very, very slippery slope that the NFL gets on when you start talking about multiple games by one franchise overseas. I know people get greedy because they want to see that revenue come in from Europe <laughs> and people want to see them wearing Jaguar uniforms in London. Uh, listen, always love talking to you, Daryl. Congratulations on the league as you move through the almost the midway point uh, of the season. And I'll definitely make sure I get to the finals this year. Absolutely. I'm going to hold you to that one. All right. You got it. Daryl Johnston. He went from uh, athlete to executive, and he's also a broadcaster. That resume is looking better every day. Daryl, thanks so much. one 408 7669 Don't move. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Hello, everyone. I'm Dwight Howard. And since I came to Taiwan, I've gained a whole new appreciation of this country. And that there is the line that had Dwight Howard apologized. Remember Dwight Howard? I played in the NBA for 17 years, a myriad of teams drafted by Orlando. I think I watched his first season um, in between Disney visits with my children. And uh, it was, I think he came until he got 18. And then he was uh, one of the stars in Special Forces. Well, he goes over to Taiwan to still play basketball at 7 foot, 6'11", he, and he's still in great shape. But why not? He made that statement, and Red China goes crazy. NBA fearing a huge backlash, I guess, convinces him to apologize? He did. His statement is comical. He says, quote, where I'm from, if I want to say I want to go to the country, it does not mean that place is a country. It's just how we talk. If I offended anyone in China, I apologize. I mean, if I say I'm going to a country, it's not really a country. Are you kidding me? It's such a joke. And remember John Cena? I don't know if you still have that, Eric, if you see. Remember his actually you don't don't get it. It's in Chinese. He speaks Mandarin. So he speaks Mandarin and apologizes because they're not going to air his movies because he said something similar about Taiwan. It is a country. Let's be honest. It's his own country. It's got its own economy. It's all just a verbiage that was agreed on during the Nixon years with Kissinger in order to say we will recognize China, put them on the Security Council. We will preserve the integrity of Taiwan. We're not going to call it a country because they believe the island of Formosa, which it originally was, belongs to China. So, I mean, how much leverage do they have over us? I mean, the same thing what they're doing is not including certain things in movies when they go over there. They know they don't air Facebook. Instagram just pulled out. What is? Why are we still doing this? And when you are, if you making as an industry sixty billion dollars, does it really mean that much to make to give up your integrity to? be in the Chinese market. I mean, just say, you know what? Can't agree with the way you guys run your country. I can't agree with the way you have these Uyghurs in concentration camps. I, I can't agree with the way what you did at Tiananmen Square. I mean, that's, if you guys want to carry the league, you you know, you guys love it. That's great. I'm out. That's it. What, I mean, it'd be different if the if China makes or break you and then you got to say, do I want to get rid of the whole industry? Could it destroy a whole sport? No. It'll make It's an extremely lucrative sport that is thriving all around the globe, it will be China's loss. Remember, with Daryl Morley, he made one tweet that basically said stand with Hong Kong or retweeted it, and they pulled the Rockets games out of China, and then they pulled all the NBA out because he did that one thing with Hong Kong. And, of course, what they did with Hong Kong, arrested every entrepreneur there, including a lot of American allies, put him in jail, basically circumvented a treaty that they signed off on with, uh, with England, in the 1980s, they had no ramifications for that either because we were all cut up in the pandemic. Pretty crazy. Uh, that's that's Dwight Howard, though. I mean, why he did that, I don't know. I mean, what kind of pressure are you putting on him? Are you t- a retired guy. But, Brian, the other point with that, what kind of bubble does he live in to not realize that you can't say something like that if you're an NBA player or former NBA player? I mean. Yeah. I, I You know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how much these guys know about foreign relations. I really don't. I mean, do you think that he knows about the threat that Taiwan's under? Oh, but I would think he would know the pressure trying to put on the NBA. Mm. Right? Yeah, that's true. We'll see. You never know people's hot buttons or countries. 
Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, where there's a battle between New York City and all the surrounding counties. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks to illegal immigration. Yes. And thanks to President Biden. A big hour coming anyway. Bill Brown will be joining us, uh, the Hermitage Capital CEO and rival of Vladimir Putin. Uh, Vladimir Putin's trying to kill him, and he would love for Vladimir Putin to die an ugly death. Uh, why wouldn't he? He killed his lawyer, and he's tortured so many other people, started a war that's uh, also killed tens of thousands. We'll talk about the latest on that war with Bill Browder. And Shannon Bream standing by. So let's get right to it. Shannon, uh, there was a an arraignment today, and we watched the 24-year-old Marine, decorated Marine, being uh, brought, walking on his own on his own volition into the 5th Precinct in Manhattan and then walking out with his handcuffs brought into a police car. Totally unnecessary show. And this is the 24-year-old who uh, looked to suppress and sadly uh, ended up choking a would-be attacker on a subway. And now there's been nonstop protests since. How much trouble, if at all, is this Marine in? Well, listen, his attorneys feel very positive. They believe that they said when all the evidence is out there that he's going to be cleared. So they feel confident of that. You know that there's more than what we've seen on the video. There have been calls for other witnesses to come in. If you were part of this, please, we need to talk to you. Um, And I thought it was interesting. One of the things that came out today is that a witness says that – that Penny got involved when he heard Neely saying he threatened to, quote, kill an an MFR in reference apparently to another passenger. It sounds like that's what this witness is saying. So, you know, it, it's one thing, um, you know, for some on the left and AOC and the governor and others to say, like, he was killed for being homeless and riding a subway train. There's that's way the more governor to it said than that. that. Do you believe that? Right. I mean, way more, you know, to it than that. And, you know, if he was scaring people, that's one thing. You and I both know you ride the subway, some people are scary. But if he's threatening to, quote, kill someone, even if he's mentally ill and he desperately needed help, you cannot – it's hard to imagine how a jury can convict someone for stepping in when they hear him say something like that. Which is pretty crazy because, number one, we see this with school shooters all the time. Oh, they were, you know, they needed their medication. They were, they were reaching out for help. They were lonely. And uh, I knew he was dangerous, but I didn't know what to do. Now, this guy doesn't, isn't a uh, school shooter, but he has a 44, he, got, he has 44 separate arrests, including mm-hmm. attacking three separate women trying to kidnap a seven-year-old. So Daniel Penny is now dealing with, well, his whole life and his family is turned on its head. Jordan Neely's family is calling a press conference where they, they're going to go to bat and say that he was unjustly killed. Jordan Neely, as the family said initially, was institutionalized and walked out because he wasn't there by court order. Uh, and he, he's, a, no, he's an admitted schizophrenic, wasn't taking his medication, and had attacked three different women on a subway before. So Penny maybe should have released the chokehold. Obviously, he didn't do it on purpose. You, all logic says he has no history except for exemplary history of serving our country. I, I want you to – Then the, I think this is all about, and you tell me, he could have waited and did a grand jury, let the grand jury decide. But instead, mm-hmm. Alvin Bragg got ahead of this. Because he saw the protest in the streets that should not factor into justice, Shannon. Yeah, and that's going to this will ultimately have to go through the grand jury still. He's going to have to present his evidence there. But, you know, the fact that he stepped up and made this charging decision with these specific um you know, charges, I think, as we talked about on Fox and Friends this morning, I think he's trying very much to 
thread a needle. I mean, he knows that there are calls here. You know, Jordan Neely's family says this is terrible. It should have been a murder charge. Um, I think Bragg knows you cannot land a murder charge. That conviction is just not going to happen on this case. So he's trying to give something to say, like, we take this seriously. We're going to hold him accountable for the actions he took, but not a murder charge. So, you know, it, there's still so many steps to go, but you got to believe people who live and ride the subways and work and walk the streets of New York City, if those are the jurors, they're going to know they will have had this same personal experience. If you're spending any time in Manhattan, you're going to have this experience. And right now with the Neely family has a news conference, they're going to be lawyered up and look to cash in. Uh, I mean, the initial comments about how troubled this guy is, uh, you know, sadly, his mom died, was murdered when he was 18. Mm -hmm. We know that Uh, everyone listening right now can name some tragedy in their life. It doesn't give you a right to attack uh, a bunch of people. The the last person he attacked, I think, a 67 year old woman he punched in the face and it still has uh, ramifications. Head injuries has not been the same. And I think they're having she's having some eyesight problems. So this is going to be I think this is going to be a huge case. Because we're dealing with a crime problem across the country. And this guy stepped up to help. Right. And the crime rates there on the subways in New York are higher than they were pre-pandemic. We know the pandemic made things absolutely chaotic in New York in, in many different ways. But the fact is, you know, the crime situation there is a real one. Now, New York will say... Crime numbers are coming down. The rates are still very high on the subway. And, you know, to the point where when I lived in New York, I took it everywhere all the time. I have a a second thought about it now when I'm there. I really do make a calculation about time of day and, you know, where I'm going and all of those things, which is a shame for people who live and work there full time. They should be able to feel safe. Nobody wants vigilantes out there. Nobody thinks that's a good idea. But do we want a good Samaritan who has served our country in uniform, who thinks he can neutralize the guy and handle the situation? Yeah. Um, to be able to do that without fear of going to jail. Um, a lot of our law enforcement officers are in fear of getting something wrong and going to jail. And listen, the ones who, who you know, have bad intent and do something wrong, nobody hates a bad cop worse than a good cop. We don't want that. But people who are trying to act with the intent to help others and protect others, you know, don't we want to encourage that in society? Not anymore. Uh, there's nobody helping anybody in the subway right now who witnessed what's going on today. And now we're watching the Neely family incite things. Uh, judging by the closed caption I'm looking at now. I want you to hear what Paul Morrow said on the set with Bill Hemmer, your good friend, Mm -hmm. about something suspicious about these protests. They almost seem coordinated. Listen. So now we're going to have trial by media before it ever gets to a grand jury, and it potentially weakens his case. They should have done it the way the system is supposed to work. They couldn't take the pressure of 15 kids with green hair jumping onto a subway track and protesting. And if I can make a point about that, Mm -hmm. there's no way that those kids jump onto a live subway track and hope that the train stops. That entire thing was staged. I don't know how they colluded it, but that just doesn't happen. You had kids jumping around on the third rail. You don't jump around on the third rail unless you know the thing is off. And there was more photographers there, if you look at that, than there are people on on the tracks. So I got to tell you, as a resident of this city, I feel played. So, Daniel, this is with the attorney, and they're speaking now, but they said... Uh, When Mr. Penny, a decorated Marine veteran, stepped in to protect himself and his fellow New Yorkers, his well-being was not assured. He risked his own life and safety for the good of his fellow passengers. The unfortunate result was the unintended and unforeseen death of Mr. Neely. We're confident that once in all the facts and circumstances surrounding the tragic incident were brought to bear, Mr. Penny will fully uh, absolved of any wrongdoing. Now it's up to everyone to step up and tell everybody exactly what happened. But they say the family, I didn't hear any apology, therefore we're going to sue. So they're going to add the city, didn't help them. They're going to look to 
uh, look to move forward that way. And we'll see. It's just a shame that it's race. If there's anything that should not be involved in this, my last point in this, Shannon, it's race. Do you really think that he put him in a headlock because he's black? And do you think he was screaming because he's black? Do you think he was threatening people because they were white? Uh, there was indications of that this guy's just a violent guy that needed help and chose not to get it. Walked out of an institution where he was getting rehab, and they can't stop him because he's 30 years old. It's not like he was a preteen. Well, and that's the thing is the laws have changed a lot over the last couple of decades as far as forcing people to get help if they don't want to. And so it's revisiting that conversation now about do we want to have situations that are a little bit more forceful for people who don't want to seek help, Um, you know, and then that gets into all kinds of, you know, civil liberties situations and everything else. But he clearly needed help. And I can understand that his family is grieving. Anybody who loses, you know, somebody who is young and in the prime of their life, although albeit struggling and having a serious criminal history, it sounds like. Um, we can understand that they are grieving the loss of their brother, their son, their child, their friend. Um, and it's and it's upsetting that what happens is people like the folks used in the protest and, you know, they're not getting the full story. They're being inflamed and being encouraged, um, you know, with only half the story. And I think that, you know, we know this man did not get the help that he needed. That's only part of the story. But we also know that it can be true that he desperately needed help and also that Daniel Penny thought he was doing the right thing. Those don't have to be mutually exclusive. Uh, so, Shannon, who do you have on, on Sunday? We have got Congressman Byron Daniels with the, excuse me, Donalds with us. Not Daniels. That's Mr. Um, that's Mr. Daniel Penny. Uh, Byron Donalds is with us to talk about debt, to talk about what are we doing on the debt ceiling, to talk about the border, and also about this oversight investigation into banking records involving the Bidens. Um, you know, Democrats say that it's a witch hunt, it's a smear campaign, um, but, but, you know, others say where there's smoke, there's fire. The investigations continue, and there are more answers than um, questions than answers at this point. So I have our Democrat just about locked in, but I'll put it on social media in just a bit. Okay, that's all I ask. So the attorney just spoke. I want you to listen and then maybe quick comment before we go. Let's listen. Who are we to look at someone and say they were houseless, so they must be a bad person? They were houseless, so they must have been about to attack us. They must have been about to hurt us. So we had the right to take his life because our life matters more. That's not the situation we want to live in. That's not the community we want to have. We don't want it where you can kill someone because you thought there was a possibility they could do something to you. There was no attack. Mr. Neely did not attack anyone. He did not touch anyone. He did not hit anyone. But he was choked to death. And that can't stand. That can't be what we represent. Wow, that, that's, a, that's a ridiculous well, I mean, argument. Listen. He was not killed because he was homeless. I think every person, if they're being honest, it is not about that. If he was saying, as one of the witnesses says, I'm going to kill X, Y, Z, passenger, whatever, if he was saying those kinds of things, um, if you say that you can't ever meet a threat with some kind of force, then that means no law enforcement. That means, you know, it, it just you have to extrapolate that out to its logical conclusion. I have been in a situation, I talked about it last weekend on Fox and Friends, where I was on a subway here in Washington when I was a young college intern. The very first day I commuted in and out of the city for my internship, and somebody was sitting next to me on the train saying, I'm going to mess these people up. I'm going to kick them in the face. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm sitting there paralyzed, looking around. Is anyone going to help me? I don't want to get off at my stop, and this guy follows me. I don't know if he's about to attack people on this train. It was terrifying. And so I 
know what it's like. Even though he didn't punch me in the face or lay a hand on me, I was frightened for myself. And the good thing was when we got to that next stop, he stood up, um, tried to grab my purse, was acting a little strange, and multiple other people jumped up and pushed him off the train. There was no altercation, thankfully, that injured him or caught, you know, caused him to lose his life, but people stepped up because they felt like there was a threat. And I was so thankful as a kid, basically on that train that day that somebody heard what he was saying, knew I was frightened and stepped in to help. Yeah. Uh, I, anybody who rides a subway knows you're hundred percent right. Your experience sadly is not rare uh, in nope. New York city and people listening around the country uh, feel the same way. Listen on a happy note, Sunday's mother's day, the love yeah. stories of the Bible speak biblical lessons on romance, friendship, and faith. You have hooked up with 1-800-Flowers. Yeah. Tell me about this special. Yeah, it's a great deal. If you buy the book, wherever you want to buy the book, keep your receipt and go to 1-800-Flowers. I've got all the information on my social. They'll give you 20% off on your flowers for mom. Do not pocket that. Also spend that money on mom. But yeah, take your love stories of the Bible, uh, speak, receipt, 1-800-Flowers, and um, we'll get you the information and get 20% off on social media. I love it. Uh, f- coupons for mom. Uh, love and who doesn't love a coupon? My mom loved coupons. Yeah, absolutely, so I'm use one for her. Shannon Bream, thank you. Uh, appreciate Saturday it. Night. And I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna see you Saturday at eight, and we're gonna watch Sunday in the morning. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Your calls next, and Bill Browder inside the war, uh, and what his response is from Donald Trump coming out and saying, "I'm not picking a side when it comes to Ukraine and Russia." Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's dealing with the situation, like I said, with the sort of integrity and honor uh, that is characteristic of who he is, characteristic of his honorable service in the United States Marine Corps. Yeah, that is uh, the attorney for Daniel Penny, who's just been turned himself in. I thought it was totally unnecessary. I'm not sure what the logistics are. But he walks in on his own. We saw some of that video this morning. And he's a 24-year-old Marine who uh, you put a submission hold, ended up being a chokehold, and cost the life of Jordan Neely, who was belligerent on a subway and doing what he always does best, it seems, and that's attack people. So that was about to happen. We don't know the details, but Daniel Penny uh, gets arrested and charged with second-degree manslaughter. But then they pull him out of the 5th Precinct and put him in a a cop car so everyone can see him in handcuffs. And they push the back of his head and push him in the back. Didn't stop the family attorney for giving a long, emotional, ridiculous uh, press conference. I'm sure some people are sad that this guy died, but he's probably been very frustrating to deal with. I think he's probably being impossible to deal with because he's a guy that needed help and didn't want to give it, didn't want to get it into rehab. We all know people like that that need rehab, were willing to go to rehab. They got found a rehab for him, and he walks out on his own, and instead of you know, to his own demise, he ends up making everyone's everyone's life's miserable around him, people that are related to him, and then people that he ended up attacking 44 separate times. So that's what's happening this morning. You have to wonder, if you see something happening, keep in mind, the last woman that he attacked was 67 years old, got punched in the head, and you see that, you might say to yourself, that's, I'm not going to let that stand. Now, if you cherish your freedom, you might say to yourself, 
I'm going to let it stand. I'm getting off. Not my problem. Because I can't go to jail for 20 years. I can't have my whole family's reputation destroyed, being forced to move, protest in front of my house. I can't worry about my own personal security because on a subway at 2.30 in the afternoon, it became clear that some homeless guy who clearly needed mental help was once again a threat to society. And the one thing I did notice that's changed over the last 20 years, and I've said this on, I'm not sure how many times I said it on mic or on camera, is that the homeless population, they don't look necessarily deprived. They look angry and deranged. And it's a broad statement to make. I get it. But what this lawyer just said was, you're all one or two paychecks away from being homeless. That, those are the good old days. That's called the depression when people lost their belongings. This is they lost their minds and are just choosing to live out of society. And that's what I noticed in California. And I certainly noticed here. And when there were very few people in the city, when I was walking around, I'm looking around going, that guy's clearly on hard times, but he is angry. And believe me, it's not black. There's a lot of white, crazy white people out there, Hispanic people out there. I don't even think about race. But once again, people got to factor race into it. Do you think that guy, and you don't know him, but I know people that do know him, surfer, lacrosse player, decides they're going to go in and serve my country for four years, comes out, looks to build in that four years of experience. When I'm looking at this, listen to his medals. He got a good conduct medal for his service. Then he got the National Defense Service Medal. Then he got the Global War on Terrorism Service Medal. So, and that's in four years. Obviously, he was in battle. And then he comes back on a backpack, not at 2.30 in the afternoon. What could go wrong on the F train? That's what can go wrong. So guess what? Now, this is going to be the big debate. Now, because of the ridiculous bail laws in New York City, you got to quickly put a case together. So they got 20 days to interview everybody and then decide, do I have a case? Now, you could have had a grand jury do that, a grand jury bring people in. Then you have a defense attorney plead their case. Maybe you hear from him, and you'll realize it's a tragedy, but he was protecting people he didn't know on a train. He had no idea what he was walking into. Bill Brown. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, we're back. Uh, we're always great to have Bill Browder uh, back in studio. Uh, Hermitage Capital CEO, head of Global McGinsky uh, Justice Campaign, New York Times bestselling author. His latest book, Freezing Order, a true story of money laundering, murder, and surviving Vladimir Putin's wrath, now available on paperback. And I'm holding it up if you're watching Fox Nation. Bill, great to see you. Great to be here. It's always good to weigh in with you because... Uh, just for people to understand how you're linked to Russia. First off, you went there as an investor, correct? You were doing business. A lot of people were doing business in Russia. They had great hopes for what Russia would be after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Yeah, it, it all it all looked good. You know, we we thought that um, this was going to turn into a normal country, and and you know, it was all very inexpensive. All these stocks were trading at like bargain basement prices, and and we thought if it becomes a normal country, we're going to make a lot of money, and it's all going to be really great. Um, problem was that. Um, it didn't turn into a normal country. It um, turned into a massive Putin-led kleptocracy where Putin became the biggest mafia boss in the world. He was stealing everything hand over fist, and anybody who tried to complain about it ended up getting kicked out. I was kicked out for publicly complaining about corruption. Where were you living? 
I was living in Moscow at the time, and uh, and I got kicked out. My offices were raided. They seized our documents. And the next thing that happened was the documents were used in a, in a complex scam and fraud where they stole $230 million of taxes that, that my firm paid to the Russian government. I had a young lawyer named Sergei Magnitsky. He discovered the fraud. He exposed it. He testified against the officials involved. And then he was arrested, uh, tortured for 358 days, and murdered back in 2009 at the age of 37 in Russian police custody. What did you do in his name? I got a piece of legislation passed called the Magnitsky Act, named after Sergei Magnitsky. It freezes the assets and bans the visas of the um, uh, kleptocrats and, and human rights violators in the Putin regime. <clears throat> the Magnitsky Act was passed in the United States in 2012. It has been since passed in 35 countries, including the UK, EU, Australia, Canada, and various other places. And Putin is just furious about this legislation because um, he's a guy who commits human rights abuses, keeps a lot of money offshore, and I've put that money at risk. And he's, he values money more than human life. So in that time, uh, we remember the McGinsky Act was front and center. Number one, John McCain helped pass it. Yep. Number two is, and he loved it because he saw Vladimir Putin as the enemy you do. And then it became pretty apparent because they tried to get to the Trump campaign and try to get rid of the McGinsky Act in exchange for re-releasing adoption, allowing Americans to adopt Russian kids again. So that's when the McGinsky Act was like, well, what is that act? And then we're realizing what you did. Well, and, and in fact, um, at the Helsinki summit in 2018, Putin was so angry at me for getting the Magnitsky Act passed that he asked Trump to hand me over. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and, and it was in the press conference and Putin said, uh, you know, we'll hand over the uh, 12 military intelligence officers who have been indicted um, in America if you hand over Bill Browder. And everyone says, who's Bill Browder? <laughs> all, all of a sudden. Uh, I knew. Yeah, well, and I watched. Uh, of, of the eight, 8 billion people on the planet, uh, Putin name checked me, only one. <laughs> What were your thoughts then? I, well, uh, two things. My, two things. The first was it's not very pleasant to be, um, you know, asked to be handed over. But but uh, it was also not unexpected because Putin has been chasing since the Magnitsky Act has been passed. He's been chasing me around the world um, with death threats, with kidnapping threats, eight Interpol arrest warrants, extradition requests, lawsuits, movies. They they, they were doing everything to try to to try to get me, target me, ruin my life. And so it wasn't unexpected, but but it was certainly not pleasant. <laughs> Right. And now that's what freezing order is about, right? What has happened? It's been 10 years since um, he's been coming after you? Um, well, it's it, it basically since Sergei Magnitsky was, was murdered 13 years ago. 13. I've been on this campaign uh, to get justice for Sergei. And, um, and the campaign um, has led to all these things. And he's been, he's been uh, chasing me for, for 13 years. It's just been going on and on. And so freezing order is all about the second part of our campaign. So the Magnitsky Act was the first part. The second part was... Um, who, who got the money? Who got the $230 million who, um, that Sergei Magnitsky was killed over? And we started tracing the money. And well, we got whistleblowers. We had data leaks. We had criminal investigations. And every time we would find money, we would, we would apply to the law enforcement agencies of the country where the money was, and they would freeze it. And that's what a freezing order is. And, and um, we've frozen about $60 million of the $230 million. We found some of the money here in the U.S., the um, – Department of Justice um, issued a freezing order over a whole bunch of uh, apartments in lower Manhattan that were used um, – uh, where they used the money that Sergei Magnitsky was killed over. And, and uh, uh, there's investigations and money frozen in France and Spain and Switzerland and Lithuania, Latvia. All Whose over. money is it? it? It belongs to all sorts of people, it, people generally connected to the Putin regime. But there's one, in, one person in particular who got the money, Vladimir Putin. 
we were able to trace some of the money to Vladimir Putin himself. How good a job, if at all, has the West done in freezing Vladimir Putin's assets and other oligarchs' goods? Well, so Putin doesn't hold any money in his own name. All the money is held in other people's names. And generally, it's held in the name of Russian oligarchs. And I should point out, people often ask me, are there any good oligarchs out there? And the answer is no. In order to be an oligarch, you've got to do a deal with the devil. You've got to do a deal with Putin. He gets half the money. So the way you, the way you freeze Putin's money is you freeze the oligarch's money. So far, we've done a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, we've frozen about uh, 40 oligarchs' uh, assets. But there's, I think there's a total of 118 people on the, on the, on the Russian Forbes list. Wow. And they should all have their money frozen. So interesting. So here's what Donald Trump said the other night uh, about what's going on in the war. Cut 32. Do you believe that Putin is a war criminal? He's responsible for the deaths of thousands well, of Well, I think this. I think it's something that not, should not be discussed now. It should be discussed later. Because right now we have to get a war. If you say he's a war criminal, it's going to be a lot tougher to make a deal to get this thing stopped. Because if he's going to be a war criminal where people are going to go and grab him and execute him, He's going to fight a lot harder than he's fighting, you know, under the other circumstance. Uh, that's something to be discussed at a later date. Right now, we want to get that war is? settled. So what are your thoughts about his? Well, I mean, uh, I, I know Putin probably better than just about anybody in the world because I've been fighting with him for 13 years. Um, there's, there, Putin doesn't negotiate. Um, there's no discussion to be had. Putin, um, all he does, and, I, and he never compromises, never negotiates, never discusses. All he does is lies and escalates. And so, um, uh, you know, Putin is a war criminal. He's a murderer. Um, he is, he's someone who needs to be defeated, not engaged with. So, yeah, right now, from when we first talked about this, war just started. And now over a year in, to describe, to describe how much prestige and power Vladimir Putin has lost. Well, Putin, um, he went into this war, in, in my opinion— um, uh, just to gain power. So when he when he took Crimea, his approval rating shot up, and he thought this is pretty good without a shot. Basically, just yeah, without it. a shot fire. It was a, it was a great deal. He went up to eighty three percent approval rating, and and since then things have been deteriorating and deteriorating. He went through COVID and and the, the economy and all this kind of stuff. He saw a bunch of his other uh, dictators in, in neighboring countries um, uh, losing their their positions. And, and Putin is, is an under, a guy who understands very clearly that if, that, um, if he loses his job, there's no Putin presidential library to retire to. He can't just go and do paintings and enjoy all of his stolen money. Like Obama. Now, um, he's not saying he stole money, but he can enjoy his retirement. Uh, or, or like um, uh, George, George W. Bush, who does nice painting and, yeah. and, and having a good time. And he's, he's, that's not going to happen. Uh, that's not going to happen. If Putin gives, loses power, um, he loses his money. He goes to jail. And he dies. That's and so for Putin, this is like you know the scariest thing in the world. And he's he's a, he's a scared little man. And so the reason he went into this war uh, is not because of NATO or some grand vision of Russian expansionism or something like that. He went into this war because he wanted to stay alive and he wanted to push his approval ratings back up. And and he thought, okay, he's going to go into war. He's going to invade Ukraine. Uh, Zelensky is going to hop on the first U- U.S. military helicopter to to Western Ukraine. And um, and three days later, it's all going to be over. And this has turned into the worst quagmire, the biggest disaster Putin could have ever imagined. He's lost more than 200,000 soldiers. It's a complete mess. 
Bill Browder, our guest, the name of his book now on paperback, Freezing Order. You're 100% right. And now in Bakhmut, in the actual battle itself, it was supposed to take Bakhmut and get closer in the winter and just punish Ukrainians who were just going to hold in the winter. They can't get Bakhmut. And Wagner Group is so frustrated, they came out and said, since we can't get any ammunition, we can't get ammo, we can't get backup, we're out of here. So there's quickly, they tried to ameliorate the situation, but there's obviously friction between the mercenaries, the Wagner Group, and between regular army. And they lost ground over the last few days to the Ukrainians who are moving forward in that region. And, and, and the, the counteroffensive hasn't even begun yet. I, I think that basically they've, they've run out of soldiers. I think that there are no – I mean that Wagner guys have been decimated. They, they think they've lost more people in the last like month in, in um, Bakhmut um, than they lost in the entire Afghanistan thing you know, uh, over 10 years. Right. When, when the Soviets invaded Afghanistan. See, everyone's like, oh, look out for the Wagner Group. Really? They're recruiting in prisons. How how elite are they? You know, are, well, pre- they're, they're, they're better than the regular army. The regular army, like, nobody wants to be there at all, at, at least in the, in the um, from, from Prigozhin's perspective. He's the head of the Wagner Group. He can get, like, trained killers because these guys are all in jail for murder. That That's better than just, you know, some, some guy who is, like, a computer programmer who gets drafted into the army. Right. I'm thinking of our quality Navy SEALs, those – Oh, yeah. No, they, they, I mean, they, they, these guys are, are, are terrible at, 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 across the board, and, 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 and they can't even – I mean, uh, you know, Russia um, defined uh, Ukraine as some kind of, like, nonexistent, um, you know, uh, pseudo-country – and all of a sudden, these guys are, are as mean and tough and, and, and aggressive as anyone they could have ever encountered. Oh, they know how to fight, and they were Western-trained, and it looks like we played a role in that. But here's what bothers me, is that in the beginning, we're not going to give them high Mars. We gave them high Mars. In the beginning, we're not going to give them uh, fighter jets. He got, they got fighter jets elsewhere. Now they're not, we're not going to give you cruise missiles. We're not going to give you Patriots. We gave them Patriots. How many people died while we went back on our word and changed our mind? Why can't we make a comprehensive decision? Because losing is not an option for the West either. You're, you're so, you couldn't be more right. I mean, this is, you're, you're so, so right. It, it, was, it, it was shameful. We, we, we could have given them all this stuff at the very beginning. We could have created a no-fly zone. We could have given them the F-16s. We could have given them the tanks. And, and, and you know, we, we still to this day are not giving them long-range um, artillery. But the British the are. Attack em's. The attack The British are. And so what's and, – and I read the other day, and, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I read the other day that, um, that the Russians called us up and said, oh, there's a red line if you do that. Well, who are the Russians to tell us where the red line is? Yeah, absolutely. I mean I, I 100 percent agree with that. The, the thing that I think the world has to understand that we should have learned for hundreds of years of, 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 of knowledge is that our enemies, who are China and Russia – Every time we try to acquiesce and rationalize, they look at it as weakness. You're right. And you have to not treat it like we're dealing with France and England. We can rationalize. France got mad about the nuclear missile sales. Australia said, we're not getting it from you. We're getting it from America. They were furious. They pulled back their ambassador. We made up. We talked to him. We're pretending as if we can do that with China and Russia. You, and we can't. You can't. And, and, and the one thing I would say about this whole conflict in Ukraine, for anybody who says that, that we shouldn't be in Ukraine or we shouldn't give them what they need, is that uh, Russia is, is um, either tied for number one or the number two adversary to the United States and to the West. Um, we, we can um, supply, spend 5% of our military budget, um, not lose a single American or British or European soldier, um, and we can basically eliminate um, this enemy for the next 25 years. 
it seems like a pretty good deal to me. It is a good deal, but the President of the United States has to be good, do a good job explaining to the American people every chance he gets. This is what we're doing. It's a small portion. It's one half of 1% of our military budget. A small portion, this is what's happening. Yeah, would I like to see the Europeans give more? But General Keene broke it down for me. He says, if you think about it, in terms of what they're doing in training, what they're not doing in dollars, he thinks France should be giving more in Germany, but the U.K. is doing a lot. Sweden's stepping up. My goodness, the worst nightmare just happened to Vladimir Putin. Dreaded NATO is adding Finland and eventually Sweden. That is his worst nightmare because that's his big complaint and fear about Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, he was he was worried about NATO expanding. Well, he's just got a 500 mile border with Finland. Uh, and by the way, the Finns know how to fight. I mean, if, if there they was, are not afraid. Well, I mean, nobody wants to be at war. But but the Finns have already been through this with Russia and they pushed the Russians back. They, 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 they successfully fought off the Russians back in 1939. I mean, it's um, they know what they're doing in the Finns. So listen, Bill Bradders here. One more segment It's called Freezing Order, a true story of money laundering, murder and surviving Vladimir Putin's wrath. A lot of people ask, what's he really like? Is he really that bad? Bill knows. And he breaks it down in, his, in a real life, uh, real life thriller. He wish it wasn't so thrilling, but it is. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. So Bill Browder's been one of the, probably the number one enemy of Vladimir Putin because he continues to uh, surround him everywhere he can and stop him financially however he can. His book, Freezing Orders, now out on paperback, a true story of money laundering, murder, and surviving Vladimir Putin's wrath. How would you characterize his health and his political future right now? <clears throat> well, his, his health is, is hard to know. I mean, if, he doesn't look great. He, doesn't, he, he's, he definitely doesn't look great, and the, and the rumors are abounding that he's not well, that he's, he's got cancer, Parkinson's, this, that. Who, who knows? I, I don't know about his health. But what I can tell you is that he's really out on a limb politically. He, he, I mean, and, and the way I can tell you this is just to look at how scared he is of any type of opposition. So um, uh, I've got a friend, a, a close friend of mine. His name is Vladimir Karamurza. He is a Russian opposition activist. He went on to CNN and MSNBC and criticized Putin at, in, at the beginning of the war from Russia. They just sentenced him to 25 years in prison for treason. And so is he there? He's in jail for treason right now. He's sitting in jail, um, suffering in jail for treason. And, and um, for, for treason. And what is his treason? Calling Putin a war criminal, saying that Putin uh, is a but murderer. He, yeah, of course. And then the Wall Street Journal reporter, they just scooped up Paul Whale and they're holding on to. Yep. And they, we are making it clear that we're willing to swap again. Are we sending, as much as I want the Wall Street Journal reporter back, the fact that they feel they can do it. And now we have to go collect Russians put him into our custody, and then swap for him. Should we? Well, I mean, um, I, 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 I'm, I can think about Vladimir Karamurza and, and him dying in jail, and I want to get him out of jail. And so, um, What would you do for you? Yeah. I, no, I, look I, at Navalny. Yeah. I mean, he's uh, – and so um, should we swap? I don't know. I mean, I think that, that to a certain extent the reason why they grabbed Evan Gershowitz is because um, they got such a good deal on, on – um, Brittany Griner. Brittany Griner. You know, they, they got a, a sort of a world-renowned um, arms dealer – um, in exchange for a girl who had a little um, pot on her. Um, now, that arms dealer came out and said that Donald Trump is welcome in Russia if he wants because he understands how badly he's being treated here. <laughs> how is the perception of this government in Russia, do you think? 
Well, I mean, I think that Russia is just furious with with America and 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 the UK and and just about everywhere right now because some, um, uh, you know, we're supplying weapons, we're sanctioning Putin, and and um, and they're suffering. And and by the way, it's really important. Putin claims, oh, the sanctions aren't working, everything is going well. Don't worry, but you know, every, it, it's not. It's it's a disaster over there. South Africa is choosing to supply weapons. Why would they do that? Um, I think that there must be somebody getting a big bribe in South Africa because South Africa, I think, uh, if you take the if you look at who, who who do they make money off, who do they sell stuff to, I think less Us. than le, less than one percent gets sold to Russia of their of their goods. Forty percent goes to America, Europe, Japan, all the good guys. And so, uh, why why would they be like flushing their economic future down the toilet? Um, somebody must be getting a bribe. The one that's got to back out is India. Yeah. I know India, they have a military relationship and they hate China, but that we have to pressure India. Well, I think we have to pressure everybody because, you know, like, back in the days when I was, I, w- I went around the world telling everyone, Putin's a murderous bad guy. And, and it was, so we, 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 uh, we, we're doing business with Russia. Um, it's crazy. Pick up freezing order. You'll really understand what's going on. Bill Bratter, always great to see you. Thank you. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.